Sick of being stuck in the third dimension? Want to explore all the time stream has to offer? Well, you are just on time. This is episode Tiny Series One. Good evening, or afternoon, or morning, depending on where you are in the time stream, fellow Chrononauts. I'm your pilot, Michael. And I am your other pilot, Robbie. And this week, we will be going over the TV series Prime Evil. Specifically, we will be going over Series 1, the first season of Prime Evil. That's how we're going to handle TV shows here, uh, is we're going to go by them one season at a time. Yes, and uh, for clarity, this is BBC's Prime Evil. Yeah, Not whatever some, other Prime Evils exist out there. Some horror film also made on, under the name, but I care far more about this one. Uh, I have been a fan of this series since I was a very, very young boy. Big dinosaur fan, and I love this series to death. So unfortunately, I do see it with a bit more than nostalgia glasses, which is why I'm very curious to see what Michael, what's your general impression of the show as a newcomer to it? Okay, wow. So I didn't realize that you had come in seeing the show. This was completely fresh for me. Never heard of this. And I was I got I, I got sucked in pretty quickly. It I don't know how if you've seen other BBC shows, but it very much follows not follows because this one came out pretty early, but it's very similar to other BBC shows I watched, which is a good thing to me. I usually have a very good time with those. And, you know, there's a couple quirky kind of late 2000, another like late 2000s quirks that are a little dated now, but besides that, it was really good. Yes. So allow, allow me to recap for you, the listener, uh, exactly what happens in primeval. So, Primeval is a story that starts with a woman eight years ago. Eight years ago from when the show started, which was like 2000 and, uh, 2008 or something. Anyways, so, a woman disappears, leaving behind her husband, evolutionary biologist Nick Cutter. After thinking she's been dead for eight years, one of his students, uh, one Connor Temple, comes to him and says there's been tale of a monster attack out in the forest of Dean, the same place his wife disappeared. Connor, uh, Nick, and Nick's uh, graduate student, Stefan Hart, all go to the forest of Dean. At the same time, there is also a zookeeper, whose name is Abby Maitland, who is investigating a strange lizard that came from the forest. And there's also a government agent who happens to link up with uh, Nick Cutter, whose name is Claudia Brown, also trying to see what is up with this monster supposed sighting. Once they all get together, they find that indeed there is something strange in the forest, an anomaly, which is what this series calls their time portals. The anomaly has opened up to the Permian, a period in Earth's past ruled by giant reptiles, but before the dinosaurs. Throughout the entirety of the first episode, they come to this realization and eventually must fight one of the giant predators from that era, a Gorgonopsid, which, as it turns out, is the same thing that chased Helen Cutter many, many years ago. Now that the team is aware of anomalies, they start looking out for them, especially because they start to be opening with more and more frequency. 
They go through multiple different creatures, multiple different problems as they learn to understand the nature of the anomalies. At the same time, it turns out that Helen Cutter is not dead, and in fact has been cavorting through time all of these eight years. The team plays a game of almost cat and mouse with her, as they, along with their government supporters, who often turn antagonist when the team is not acting fast enough for them, have to try and get Helen to give up some information so that people won't be constantly under threat of death from these creatures from the past. Eventually, it all comes to a head in Episode 6, where Helen comes to the present and offers her help freely because a creature from the future this time has come in to the present. As it turns out, it followed Helen, hence why she stick around, stuck around to help, and the team eventually manages to kill the creature from the future without having to worry about it possibly affecting the past, and they actually kill it in the Permian. And as it turns out, there's a bit of a time loop thing going on, and we'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later, but yeah, that's more or less primeval, a tale of dinosaurs and creatures invading the present through some kind of unknown caused portals called anomalies. Yeah, this was definitely a lot more of a creature movie than I expected. It really focuses on these animals a lot, and especially the morality of what to do with them. Yeah, that's something I really appreciate, and it's probably why Young Me latched on to the series so heavily. Uh, I love animals, and I, in fact, work with animals day in and day out, as Michael can attest. Yep. All his life, he has always been, he's been head of zoo club in middle school to now he works at a zoo. Yep, so I was primed to love this series. Prime eviled to love this series. Ha oh. <laughs> ha! God, I, I heard that one coming the instant you said prime. Yeah, almost like you could predict the future of it. Yeah. All right, so let's let's start. Uh, I want to know what was your favorite episode, Michael. Honestly, the first episode was my favorite. I think that's only because it got me engrossed so well, and the mystery behind Helen was, I it made me want to keep going more than anything else. And I'm almost a little upset that Helen got revealed so soon. Especially the way she got revealed, because it wasn't what I expected. But yeah, I think that first episode was just very magical for me, and I just like that one the best. Nice, nice. Yeah, the the mystery of Helen getting revealed fast kind of has to deal with the fact that this is a British TV show, which means there's only six episodes to this season, and so things kind of got to move a little quickly. Yeah, they, they go for longer episodes, 45-minute episodes, but you only get six of them. Yeah, but Here they, we they get move smaller really quickly. Yeah, they move really quickly. They cover a lot of ground with this series really fast. Yeah, they do. And it was never not engaging or anything. It always I I you know, you got you caught onto the formula, but it was still interesting. And you know, mm -hmm. you still wanted to see what happened and the overarching story amongst the six episodes was still you still want to learn more and more. Yep, and each episode yeah, exactly. Each episode deals with a different, a, a, something new every single episode. So episode one is obviously big, scary reptiles and introducing time travel. Then episode two is all about giant bugs, so it's a completely different kind of creature. Episode three deals with an aquatic uh, anomaly uh, to the Cretaceous. 
and then episode four deals with dodos and parasites. And then episode five deals with flying creatures in the form of a pteranodon and a swarm of agnathus. And then episode six deals with the future creature. So you get like the whole spectrum of animals uh, possible from these just these short six episodes. Yeah, I appreciated that too. I thought it was going to stick to one relative time zone and just keep sending us dinosaurs or something. But it didn't do that. And also, just speaking of the dinosaurs and stuff, as a post-production major, I always like to comment on CG and things. Uh, it's crazy how much we've advanced in 10 years. Like, you could obviously tell a lot of these things are fake in some of the scenes when I look with a close eye. You, you could see that, you know, it wasn't done perfectly, but it was still very... It was still very good for the time and pretty realistic. Yep. Part of the reason for that is because this is the brainchild of the people behind uh, Walking with Dinosaurs, actually. They, they're a company, Impossible Pictures. They're the ones that made this TV show. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, I've heard yeah. of Walking with Dinosaurs. They had those like shows, right, where you'd go and see those very realistic um, animatronic dinosaurs. Yep, the, uh, the Walking with Dinosaurs brief aside is a series of documentaries that was the first time that people really made a documentary series about dinosaurs as like active living creatures in their environment. It came out in the late 90s. It was very, very popular on the BBC, saw a wide American release, and then they followed it up with other things like Walking with Beasts, which is about prehistoric mammals, Walking with Monsters, which is about everything before the dinosaurs, and Walking with Cavemen, which is all about man's evolutionary history. So they've done, they've done a lot of stuff impossible pictures and i am a huge fan of theirs i love their stuff to death it sounds like you're very knowledgeable about them yeah i i i've done a lot of research into this i it's one of my hyper fixations not gonna lie it's one of my favorite series of all time and that is entirely on me uh it's not necessarily the best series i recognize it's, it's got its faults but i i can't help but love it what, what's your favorite part about this season? What was your favorite part? Uh, that's hard. I think my favorite episode was... Uh, I, I like parts of all of them. I really liked episode six, and I really liked episode three. Uh, episode six, to get back into it and give it a little more detail, kind of ties even more time travel elements into this because when, in the first episode, they go back into the Permian they see an old camp with a, a human skeleton and like wrecked uh, camp. And they're like, what, what happened here? And they pick up a camera and they see it was Helen's camera and there's a picture of Helen on it. And they're like, oh my gosh, she was here. But who else was with her? And then that answer that is answered in episode six when they go back into the Permian because that's where they think the future predators came from is they, there's a future anomaly inside the Permian and they went back to the Permian to find that anomaly because all the anomalies can link up wherever they want. Uh, when they go back into that past in the Permian, it's actually 10 years earlier than the portal we saw in episode one. So they became their own past, which was super, super neat to see. Plus the fact that a Gorgonopsid got to fight a future predator was just downright awesome. Yeah, I enjoyed that battle scene too. And that was, that was a wonderful twist. I actually, I did not see that coming whatsoever. But yeah, then he, you see you see Nick taking a picture of Helen, and you're like, wait, this looks familiar. And then Nick realizes, wait, this looks familiar. And then they realize that they were the ones, yes, that created that camp that they saw back in episode one. Mm -hmm. 
But season one definitely does. I've seen all the seasons. And don't worry, we will go over all the seasons on this podcast. We'll get to them at a later time, you know, break things up. But this season definitely does a lot in regards to exploring what or how the anomalies work. Uh, so episode one, they established that the anomalies are portals to the past and they're magnetic. It's an easy way to track them. Uh, then in episode three, there's they talk about how they're almost like an earthquake in the time-space continuum. And the, the portal in episode three moves from place to place along a temporal fault line, as Nick explains. Then episode four, we actually see that there are these things called spaghetti junctions, which is a term in physics of when a bunch of wormholes link up, I believe. I don't know the physics behind it that well, but I do know that in Primeval, a spaghetti junction is where just hundreds of anomalies all open up on the same spot. And that was really interesting to see. And then, you know, episode six also deals with the nature of causing your own past potentially, because when Nick comes back to the present, there's someone missing. Claudia Brown does not exist anymore. Something has changed. And that gets more sta- more worked on in season two, but we're not going to go into that here. Yeah, I was going to... When you mentioned that we would be continuing to tackle other seasons of the show, I was going to say, yeah, I can't wait for that because I want to see what happens next. That was an excellent cliffhanger to end season one, knowing that uh, Nick's next reliable woman after Helen kind of turned out to be not a great person. Now she's yeah, gone, Claudia. Mm-hmm. And it really causes Nick's grip on reality to fray just a little bit. Yeah. He almost goes crazy before he realizes what happens, uh, that he, they messed with time a little too much. And yeah, speaking yep. of which, on that note, like you were saying, it was it was, it was was very consistent, these temporal spots and it, it was, it was you know you couldn't break it in any ways really. You went in, you went out. You had kind of a time limit because these things didn't last forever. But you could tell when they were weakening, so you could you know be cautious enough. And yep, just uh, just like they describe in episode three, it's it's like an earthquake. It's it's a temporary thing for it to be open. Yeah, and they move around, and I also like Helen's. Or like she wants, she wants, she's so interested in these things that she almost throws away humanity for them. You know, it's kind of hard for me to tell. Honestly, I don't know what becomes of Helen in the later seasons, but I I don't know if she's like supposed to be a main villain or if she's supposed to be an anti-hero. I'm I'm interested to find out. But yeah, she almost it sounds like she wants to use this knowledge to like gain an upper hand, and she's all about like survival in that mm-hmm. sense. Like the fall of humanity, but I could be totally wrong. I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, it definitely keeps you guessing. And uh, I also really like the visualization of the anomalies. So the, what the anomaly looks like for you viewers who are listening, because this is a podcast, uh, it looks like if you were to explode a ball of glass, but then you hit pause. So all the shards are just frozen in midair and just kind of rotating gently as this shattered sculpture which actually might be lifted from the time machine because I remember reading on that book, I noted that the time traveler himself noticed that when he started time traveling, it sounded like glass breaking almost because he was like, you know, shattering the fourth dimension. And that's kind of what these are. If they're an earthquake, they're a violent collision of the fourth dimension being torn open. And so it looks like it's broken. 
Yeah, that's an excellent observation, and I think that was a great choice by the uh, by the director or the art team, whoever came up with that. It, it was a cool visual, and it also wasn't too intensive or anything. You didn't look at it and think, oh, that doesn't look right, because, you know, again, late 2000s level of CG isn't perfect. And Yeah, especially 2000s TV CG. Yeah, exactly. But the BBC definitely let them have at least a fairly decent budget, because it does look really good and holds up you know, fairly well because they did so well with the the aforementioned uh, walking with dinosaurs and stuff that they're like, okay, you get to do your pet little sci-fi project. Yeah, I was kind of shocked. One of the creatures that immediately not exactly took me out of, you know, like disengaged me, but like I noticed, oh, wow, that's CG, was a little, you know, that little lizard named Rex. That one immediately, yeah. I was like, yeah, that one's fake. And I was kind of shocked that they stuck with that one for a while. Like, that ends up being their little pet and a fun little critter, like, kind of comedic relief, too. And also yeah. kind of every a Every team needs point. a comedic sidekick. Every team needs a comedic animal sidekick. And so uh, Rex does end up getting marooned in the present. He's a lizard from the Permian. He was the whole reason Abby got involved. And he ended up getting marooned here. And so he recurs in multiple episodes. But there yeah. are some episodes where you can tell he's also physical. They do have a Rex puppet that they use uh, quite heavily in episode one. Really? Yeah. I honestly, I don't think, I don't think I picked up on that. I definitely noticed the CG one, though. <laughs> it, it, you know, impressive for the time, but you could definitely tell that it was not real. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the other ones looked, were actually really spot on, especially in uh, the con- like the lighting conditions or if they moved the camera fast enough. Yeah, they definitely use a lot of tricks on on putting them in darker environments or in the case of episode 5, they cause one of the characters' vision to get impaired and so when we look through their eyes, everything's blurrier, which definitely helps the the CG. Yeah. They could basically just create little blobs that float around and you think they're dinosaurs. But hey, I mean, ace decision on that part. Like that that's some good directing right there. Yeah, those are the decisions you have to make to engage an audience when technology hasn't quite caught up to your vision. And uh, so, what, one thing I wanted to touch up on, or I wanted, and I wanted to discuss, was uh, the writing. I think this show had an interesting mix of comedies, the you know, like witty humor, like witty, witty dialogue, and seriousness. Sometimes it worked really well, and I think other times it was a little uncalled for. I wanted to ask what you thought about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely... It, it, it exists in that realm that so many sci-fi properties do, right? Where there's plenty of dry, witty humor, uh, but there's also the, the serious... We're dealing with the, the nature of reality or some scientific law itself. Uh, so it just feels very sci-fi to me. Yeah, I remember one scene in particular in the second episode when they're dealing with the giant spider things they're you know the spider just killed uh, a pesticide you know a duty sprays pesticide just died from the venom of one of, uh, of what they thought was one of these spiders and they're so the team goes down to take care of the spiders and the first thing abby says is anyone have a giant slipper you know it, it's just it's weird. These characters just saw someone die in the hospital from venom, and you know they go down to see what's going on. And you have a giant slip. You know, it's a little weird. It was a little jarring. 
Yeah, just a little bit. It's hard for me to notice those things because of the aforementioned nostalgia goggles. So it's good to get that perspective from someone who's new to the series. Yeah, it was mostly good, and I I generally enjoy that kind of humor in uh, a show. If any of you have watched Sherlock, this is basically like Sherlock, like a younger version of the Sherlock series uh, they did on BBC as well. It's it's similar in so many ways in terms of like the writing and the humor and how episodes are kind of formulaic, but also they keep you moving with a general story throughout the uh, season. So if you like Sherlock, I think you'll like this. And yeah, so I, you you're know, I surely got able to like it. Yes, you're sure. Oh, Lordy. Uh, uh, oh, uh, and I just recalled another reason that I really liked episode six was the future predator itself. So they actually do a fairly good job on their speculative evolution. Uh, they have the the villain of that episode, the creature, is like a hyper evolved bat. It looks like a giant. Uh, looks like a big great ape, but extremely skeletal and gray, and it doesn't have any eyes because it relies on echolocation. So it was very, very cool. And uh, uh, yeah, I just happen to really like when there's like a, a skeletal looking gray monstrosity from the future hunting people, but I'm sure that'll never come up again. <laughs> yeah, no, we won't be uh, we won't be covering that anytime soon. Yep, it'll remain a mystery for the ages. <laughs> So what what did you think of of the the creatures in general? What did you like them? I did. Uh, one thing I have to just immediately praise this for is they like T Rexes. People kind of need to get over T Rexes, but this show there are no T Rexes. That wasn't their like go to carnivorous dinosaur or whatever. You know they went with something else. It was definitely carnivorous and it ran on four legs and it was terrifying. But it wasn't a T Rex for once. Thank you. Uh, you know, they did a little more research. Um, yes, it, it was a Gorgonopsid, which is this uh, massive mammal-like reptile from the Permian. It had big saber teeth. It was uh, quite the formidable creature. Yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, they mix it up a lot. You get insects, you get things that fly, you get things that swim, you get, you know, ground animals. They give you a good mix, and you get things from the future that, you know, we, we couldn't even imagine until we saw and it was, I thought that was very cool, especially seeing through that future creature's echo location. Like, it would show you through its perspective how it sees things. It was almost like a glowing radar, almost like night vision kind of thing. It was very cool to watch. Yeah, so I was very happy yeah. with the creature they, they, design overall. Mm-hmm. And they also, like, definitely have a level of respect for the creatures, too. It's It's not just monster of the week they're all terrifying beasts they also go to show that hey these are these are animals that are just stuck in a in a time period they're unfamiliar with like the uh they do that especially with the with rex as a very relatable creature because he's cute and small but also they do it with the pteranodon in episode five to show that hey big things aren't always harmful either yeah they they question the morality of things like how do we want to take care of this do we want to kill it do we want to capture it do we want to send it back and it weighs on the characters minds it's something they think about it's not just you know it's not just let's kill it <laughs> mm-hmm. and I those chickens definitely that. come home to roost in episode six where they show that yeah things can change if you muck it up you want to try to put everything back so that as little changes as possible otherwise your present might be different when you come back yeah Man, I'm, 
yeah, that, that remind that reminded me very randomly something I didn't expect, and it, it I think it was definitely one of my least favorite episodes because of it. The episode where Tom dies because of the parasite in his body. I didn't expect that. I thought Tom and his other friend were like a comedic group, and they're kind of there to you know break tension or whatever, just something to flip to. They were always spying on or you know trying to figure out what's going on in their friend Connor's head. And because Connor was in on all of this and they didn't know anything, and then they just go up and they just kill Tom at the end of an episode, and it honestly isn't even made that big of a deal. Connor kind of cares for like thirty seconds, and then he's like, "Okay, yeah, I'm good. We got to move on." It is kind of touched on a little bit in the next episode, which is episode four. What episode was the parasite episode? Episode five. Yeah, episode five. At the beginning of episode five, uh, he's playing his video games and he pauses it and goes to the menu and he sees a save file from Tom and he's like, "Oh, kind of sad for a second. But yeah, that's that's about the extent of what they touch on for it. Yeah, that is true. They do. They yeah, they do have that little bit there. I just it, it was very quick for me. Yeah, that episode, they do pay. It, it was a it was a creepy. They do episode pay attention. Too. Oh yeah, that was a very creepy episode. It does give them the ability to do horror or all kinds of other subgenres, uh, depending on what the creature of the week is, uh, whether it be more of an adventure or whether it be more of a horror story. But they do pay attention to detail pretty often. In the first episode, for example, to demonstrate the magnetic properties of the anomaly, Connor holds up his house keys and they get sucked into the anomaly. And he realizes, oh no, that was my keys. And then, in episode two, he talks to Abby and asks if he can room at her place because he's like, I can't, uh, I'm having trouble with my flat. I can't get back into it (laughs) because he threw his keys into time. (laughs) Yeah, I thought, I initially thought that was just a, you know, a small little gag just for us to laugh. Like, he threw his keys in there. But yeah, that actually became, you know, pivotal in following uh, episodes where he had to, he had to, yeah, he had to room with Abby, which, you know, maybe he did that on purpose. Uh, thinking now, but because <laughs> he's got a little thing for Abby. Yeah, in that very cringy late two thousands way. A lot of the late two thousands ness comes especially from uh, Abby and Connor. Uh, Connor especially. Yeah, Connor, not great with women. Very awkward. And that poor guy doesn't get a break. <laughs> In the first episode, he's shown to be, like, a conspiracy nut, almost to a fault. So, yeah, he definitely has all those cla- classic nerdy guy flaws. Ha, 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 funny. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was humorous at times, but sometimes a little much, too. Like how he immediately, in episode two, was, like, trying to prove to all his friends that this was real. And then he got kicked off the team for an episode because of it. Half yeah, an episode. Yeah. But all in all, in total, you know, I, I, I would give this personally, you know, a pretty decent passing grade. I, I, I quite enjoy the series. What's your what's your final verdict on it? Would you definitely watch this again, recommend it to new people? I would definitely recommend it. It's hard to say entirely because I haven't seen the rest. I will say this. One, I want to see the rest. Definitely that's a good, that's a good impression for a TV series. Yeah, it left a great, great uh, cliffhanger at the end. And two, I, I think... The writing isn't, you know, perfect. It's very, very good, but I, the story is pretty solid. 
I would, yeah. I it's not like the most perfect thing ever, but I really enjoy it, and I'll I'll continue watching it. That's good. That makes me really happy to hear as a as a big fan of the series. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing I'm beginning to really enjoy about this podcast is just watching things I never would have watched, having a great excuse to do so, and realizing, wow, now this is something I can mention to people because this is pretty awesome. Yeah, there are definitely some things that I've spied uh, on our list of future uh, pieces to cover where I'm like, oh, dang, I can't wait to read this or see this. Some of these things look awesome. So this will this will be that's part of the fun of this podcast. And you all will get great ideas on what's worth viewing and what's not. <laughs> yep. And I'd say so far, you know, we, we've hit some pretty good ones. We haven't had any uh, any bombs yet. Yeah, yet. Uh, but yeah, you guys will definitely we'll take that pain for you. You're welcome. We are so self-sacrificial in our wisdom of being from a time more advanced than yours. We know what you're what you can handle uh, as you know people who don't really understand the time stream yet. Yes. Well, we will be we will be your filter to make sure you only get the best of time travel and media and only the good realistic stuff that you know actually occurs in the time stream mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so would would my my final question for you michael is if there was a time portal opened up in front of you would you pull a helen cutter would you go through it and foray into time you know, we have our time machine. We, we can go wherever we want to. But if you had no control over it, would, would you take that leap? I would first do a couple of tests, especially if the thing looks like glass. I wouldn't just stick my head into it like a little boy did in the first episode because, you know, your head might get chopped off. But uh, I would definitely, I would try. I wouldn't just sit there and do nothing. That Man, that's an opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> especially for folks in the early 2000s where they have no idea how time travel works Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. i wouldn't pass up on that but i'd be very cautious i would test a couple things you know maybe throw a pen in there or whatever just like connor did well that's reassuring to hear that my my co-pilot or my fellow pilot isn't so without reason that he would just jump in headlong (laughs) i don't don't know if that worries you that i would definitely go into an anomaly (sighs) you always put your head last you're never a brain person, so, you know, I understand. Hey, I resent that comment and <laughs> you, also resemble it. You you are an instinctive person. You see Portal, you jump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I would have at least a little preparation. I would try to see if there's anyone I know nearby that could be like, bring me a bag of supplies from the camping store right now, and then I would leave for fear of it opening. I wouldn't want to leave that spot you know yeah keep an eye on it that would but uh, while we may not have access to any anomalies which the show never in the first season at least explains where they come from we do have access to our wonderful handy dandy time machine right here so I believe we have to be off into the time stream for our next adventure Yep, uh, let's get this sucker fired up. It's time to time to head out. All right, we will see all of you listeners next time. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to this week, please subscribe to the show. 
We'll have episodes weekly, and links to all of our social medias are in the description. See you next time.